Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not a huge fan of the term new normal. What we're seeing today in our lives is anything but normal. And that disruption will be most significant for those expecting to attend college this fall. The collegiate experiences will be different in in the life of COVID. There's no getting around that until we have a vaccine or the numbers sort of indicate that herd immunity will allow us to relax social distancing guidelines. What can we expect on local college campuses this fall? as we protect against coronavirus. It sounds excessive to think that we would have to test every day, but ideally um, that would, I think, be a good practice to test every day. It may not be practical, but at this point, I think at least uh, a couple of times each week. In this edition of 880 In-Depth, our conversations with the presidents of two universities in northern New Jersey, one public, one private, on college in the face of the COVID-19 threat. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. We're beginning to hear our local officials talk about the issue of school in the coming months. In fact, colleges and universities are waiting to hear from these officials as to what these states will be requiring of them as they hope to open up in the fall. As we wait, we wanted to hear the view from the inside. I spoke to the president of Fairleigh Dickinson University, Dr. Christopher Capuano. One of his school's campuses is right on the edge of the epicenter in the state, in Teaneck and Hackensack. But first, our Peter Haskell got on the phone with the president of William Patterson University. That's a school tucked up along the Bergen-Passaic border in the northern part of the state. Meet Richard Heldobler. He's had 30 years of experience in education, but it's hard to think that anything could have prepared him for this. We asked him about how he sees the coming year. Do you have any sense what it's going to look like next fall? Uh, you know, my, my best guess at this point, and, and, and it is a guess without further guidance from the state, is that it will be somewhere in the middle. Um, that there will be traditional fall experiences coupled with social distancing requirements um, regarding uh, uh, regarding uh, residence halls, classroom spaces, dining obligations, um, and we're waiting to see you know what those will look like uh, with guidance from the state. Give us a sense at this point what a hybrid experience might be like. So a hybrid experience might be where you have um, where you live stream the class. So there's a camera in the class that the 
faculty member can turn on and, and they're teaching in front of a camera just as if they would be teaching a, a traditional class. Half of the class might be looking at, uh, might be viewing it through a computer at home and half the class might be in the physical classroom space and then on an alternate day you would flip those populations. Um, uh, also part of it might be another hybrid model is where they, um, for a three hour class, they would do one and a half in the classroom setting and they might do one and a half uh, hours online depending on how um, the construct is, is set up. So there's that model. Other models are you would compress your class schedule so you can put, let's say, a class with 20 students in a class that would normally fit 50, which would allow for a physical distancing within, within a classroom. Um, so those are some of the models that nationally are really being talked about um, in terms of thinking about social distancing in traditional class settings. When you look at the physical spaces, the lecture halls, the smaller rooms, how easy or difficult is that going to be? It's complex. There's, there's no getting around that. It, it's complex. Um, you know, and we, we have um, more popular times of the day that, that faculty and students prefer to be on campus, and that might have to be altered. They may have to be more spread out throughout the day to make sure that we have a large enough footprint um, and, and space utilization to make sure that we can maintain social distancing. But, um, you know, I think that we'll definitely be able to, uh, you know, accommodate those in, 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 in one way or another. It also might involve moving to some Saturday classes, um, which is an underutilized day on, on campuses or Sunday. But I think ultimately part of the conversation that we'll be having with students is, you know, would you prefer to do a hybrid where you're only in face-to-face -face one day and viewing and, and viewing a stream the other day, or would you prefer to come on a Saturday or Sunday when we can give you a bigger space and you can be in face-to-face? -face? So I think some of those conversations that, you know, we'll be having with our continuing students uh, over the summer with focus groups to sort of figure out what the best way is going forward, uh, again, once the state give us some, gives us some guidance. How do you get faculty members to buy into coming in Saturday or Sunday? Well, I mean, that's, that's a challenge. Um, you know, we, we are um, a collective bargaining environment. Um, and so I always say the good news about collective bargaining is the rules are spelled out. The bad news is the rules are spelled out. Um, and, and classroom, is, classroom uh, assignment is an assignment, right? So the university does have the ability to direct the workforce. Is it preferred? No. But I have to say that the faculty at William Patterson have been really good partners, both in the pivot to the online in the spring and helping us think through what fall might look like coming forward. And, and you know, really, we've just begun the discussions on partnering on our budget challenge. And, and they're, they're good partners, and they care about the students. And, you know, I don't think they would want this to be a long-term solution, but I think in the immediate um, aftermath of the pandemic, it is something that they would consider. The fact that many of your students don't live on campus and commute, does that mm -hmm. make it easier or harder for you? Well, I think it makes it easier in the fact that you're not dealing with a, a large residence population in the residence halls. Um, you know, people can park in, in the parking lot and moving to and from uh, classes allows you to, um, you know, create social distancing. It would, it's really you know, managing the in-class experience that would be um, difficult. I think there is an added layer that you don't know what they're doing off campus, where if you had a larger residence-like 
uh, you know, component on campus. There you can sort of control the environment and control the social distancing and control the contacts. Um, I think that the, the, the commuter population gives you the challenge if you can't control that aspect of it. So it will involve some sort of idea around testing and, you know, if you're, if you're running a fever or you're not feeling well, don't come in and making sure that we have um, academic policies in place that allow for that kind of leniency um, going forward. And we're working with our health and wellness center um, to begin to think about what those guidelines would look like um, in the fall. For the students who would live in dorms, who do live in dorms, how, how do you control that? And can you maintain social distancing? Well, it would depend on the living space and the configuration of the residence hall. Um, in our apartments um, that are apartment-style living, I think it is very easy. And some of our smaller residence halls or, or, you know, traditional residence halls where the rooms might be smaller, that might be more difficult. And one of the things that we're looking at is if we have to, you know, maintain social distance, do we, do we reduce the number of people that we would, would allow in a room? And the answer to that, obviously, is, is yes. And then the dining component would have to be, you know, there would be no sort of communal dining. We would have to do a lot of grab-and-go and delivery uh, in terms of meal services. And I know that our vice president for student development is beginning to have those conversations with food service, for food service now um, in, in terms of our scenario planning. But what about the students who may not be able to thrive in the online environment? and had hoped that a public university like William Patterson was just the answer to help them socially as well as in learning. The school's president, Richard Heldobler, says those young people need to hang in there. The odds against you if you stop out of completing your degree significantly reduce. That's what you should be focused on. And, um, and I hope that they uh, remain uh, focused on that, especially for the population of students that we serve that are from the lower economic quartile, um, that come from the lower end of net worth in New Jersey. Um, we know that the baccalaureate degree is the great equalizer. And if we're really going to change the social fabric of the state and deal with the income inequality in the state, the only way to do that is to put more bachelor's degrees into the hands of that population, which is exactly the population that we serve. So my message to, him, to them is yes, it will be different but your life will be immensely different if you don't complete. You're talking about people whose families might not have a lot of money. Can they find a better deal? Can they wait a year? Can they go to a community college? Can they get a job rather than having a virtual experience? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it depends on what you want, right? There are Students who prefer the virtual experience, uh, when you look at like Thomas Edison University in New Jersey, which really specializes in a, in a virtual learning environment, there are students who gravitate toward that. Working adults tend to gravitate toward a virtual online environment. I, but I would say that, you know, if we're told that we can't do a face-to-face -face experience, I'm pretty sure community colleges or county colleges would be as well, so it's not like um, we're going to we're going to be virtual and someone else is going to be face to face. I think everybody will wait, you know, from the guidance of the state and follow follow accordingly. Um, but what I would again, what I would say to students is, don't let the progress towards your degree um, 
you know, stop just because it's a virtual environment. It may not be preferred, but it will get you one step closer to the degree. And if you take a gap year, the, the, the odds of you completing are less than 15%. Fairleigh Dickinson has grown into the largest private university in New Jersey, with over 11,000 students spread across two campuses in northern New Jersey. We spoke to Christopher Capuano, the school's president, about how he sees the fall playing out. The scenario that we're working uh, most on is, is a scenario that allows us to return to campus. Uh, we anticipate that uh, there will be many restrictions in place, like physical distancing, uh, wearing masks, having to test uh, students, faculty, and staff regularly, and also having to isolate anyone that tests positive, and that may uh, require sending folks home for a period of 14 days or more if, in fact, they test positive, or uh, if we can, isolating them on campus. So we're planning for, for all of this. Uh, I think the biggest challenge, uh, Tim, will be the, the testing, because you hear every day that the states are, are struggling to reopen across the country, and what they're struggling most, most with is the resources to conduct testing. I think uh, without being able to do that, and this is going to be true for colleges as well, um, it's going to be very difficult to reopen if we can't test and if we can't do contact tracing. That is our plan right now. Uh, we, I made an announcement to the community uh, last week that it, it was our intention to reopen in the fall, albeit on a limited basis, with restrictions in place. Those restrictions might even in, include uh, fewer students in dormitories. In fact, uh, we're planning for a scenario that may uh, only allow us to have one student per dorm room. Uh, that's not ideal for us. We would like to have uh, the dorms at full capacity, but we understand that the governor and, and the public health officials will will tell us what, what we can and can't do. Uh, if we have to physical distance six feet or more, then it's hard to imagine you could have more than one student in a dormitory room because uh, those rooms are relatively small, and you would not be able to ensure that uh, students in the same dorm room could be six feet apart at all times, especially if they're sharing a bathroom, as they would in, in many cases. So uh, those are the three scenarios we're looking at. Uh, back without any restrictions, back with restrictions, probably with a hybrid blended model, which would require us uh, to do some online instruction so that we can minimize the uh, people that are on campus at any given time, uh, but have all students coming to, to campus on a schedule so that they... Uh, you know, could experience what what they uh, hope to experience, which is to be on a college campus and and to interact with people face to face, although six feet away. With regard to testing, do you have any good information or good insight or advice from uh, health experts as to how often you may have to test either students or faculty? So we're not certain yet how often. In fact, we would uh, look to public health officials to to tell us uh, how often we should be testing. But my sense now is that we're going to have to test uh, folks fairly regularly. Um, I would think at least one or two times a week, if not more. Um, and certainly if, if, uh, if we believe that someone uh, may have been exposed to the virus, then we would have to, to test on, a, uh, on an as-needed basis. The difficulty with a college campus, as you know, is, is people come and go including faculty and staff and students who are commuting. So 
you have no way of knowing when people leave the campus uh, who they're interacting with and, and who, you know, might have contracted the virus uh, without testing. So you have to test regularly in order to make those determinations. And my sense is uh, it sounds excessive to think that we would have to test every day, but ideally um, that would, I think, be a good practice to test every day. It may not be practical. But at this point, I think at least uh, a couple of times each week uh, would be good because if people are practicing physical distancing and they're wearing masks, even though someone might be positive, test positive for the virus or have the virus, I should say, we're minimizing the spread of the virus by enforcing these restrictions, namely physical distancing and the wearing of masks. So if you can get the community to engage in those behaviors, I think you can probably get away with testing one or two times a week. But again, testing everyone to be sure. The the issue of uh, residential students, um, you brought up dorm rooms. Uh, obviously, uh, there would probably be significant cleaning in shared spaces like uh, bathrooms. You might even have to close a lounge. You might say you're restricted to your room when you're not uh, when you're when you're within the dorm uh, scenario, you know, how do you uh, cleaning probably is a, is as big an issue as anything. Absolutely. So we're we're going to have to clean on a uh, on a very frequent basis. Uh, the dormitories, especially, we haven't worked out all the protocols yet uh, for the dormitory space. But uh, even if we have limited students in the dorms, we're going to have to actually create schedules. Um, when students can use certain spaces and make sure that we're doing cleaning uh, in between. So we have actually created, as most institutions, task forces to uh, consider all of these uh, scenarios and to come up with the protocols because our number one priority is to ensure the safety and well-being of our students, faculty, and staff. Uh, It's not just students, it's also faculty. So you can imagine we have faculty who are, you know, of an age uh, that they're considered to be vulnerable, and they may have uh, predisposing illnesses that make them even more vulnerable. Some of these faculty, in fact, have expressed a concern to us about returning to campus too soon and interacting with, uh, with you know, younger uh, individual students who may not be sick, who may be asymptomatic, but may be carrying the virus. So, We're even now building into our planning some flexibility for faculty who might feel uh, vulnerable uh, to minimize the amount of time that they spend on campuses to do more in a hybrid model, to do more online than in person. So all of these are being considered. Absolutely, we're going to have to do cleaning of our spaces uh, on a regular basis, Uh, classrooms, our uh, common areas like dining halls in common spaces within dormitories and have good protocols in place. Again, if we can, can, if we can manage the physical distancing and we can get everyone to understand that it's vitally important to wear masks and even to wear gloves, if, uh, if, 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 if they feel comfortable doing that, then I think we can reduce the amount of testing that we'll have to do, which will still have to be fairly regular. Um, so these are all you're hearing it. These are all going to be, good practices for all of us uh, to be engaging in. Like William Patterson, Fairleigh Dickinson University expects to have much more interest from prospective students within the state who are just not comfortable about going away from home in the current climate. 
FDU's Chris Capuano. Yeah, this is a this is a very good point, Tim, and it's something we've been uh, thinking a lot about. So the short answer is yes, uh, we do for the simple reason that uh, that we anticipate many many students and families will be uncomfortable about going back to uh, school uh, if the school is far away out of state for fear of uh, the unknown, and they'll look at least in the short run maybe to to stay at home where they're going to feel more comfortable and perhaps not even living on campus, simply commuting, uh, which they may see as, as, as a better or safer option. Uh, the truth is, if you're going to go somewhere and live in a dormitory, then your risk, whether you're in Michigan or New Jersey, is probably going to be uh, relatively similar. Although if you're at a larger university and there are more students, and therefore it's more difficult to practice some of the things we've been talking about, then perhaps uh, that poses greater risk. So New Jersey, by the way, Tim, is is one of the top net exporters of students going to college. And what that means is uh, more students leave the state to go to college than come into the state to go to college. Um, and we do expect uh, to see, and we're not the only one, the only one, the only institution, others in New Jersey. In fact, the publics have uh, launched a campaign um, urging students uh, to consider them if, in fact, they're uncomfortable about returning to the schools that they were studying at uh, this past spring. So we do expect to see that, I think, across the state. More students, especially since so many leave, staying home uh, for safety reasons to minimize risk. And we hope that Fairley in northern New Jersey will be, we know, would be a very good option for them for the reasons you've stated, because we have, we are a comprehensive university. We have over 100 uh, degree programs at the undergraduate and graduate level. So we have many options for students, and, and many of our programs are uh, highly ranked and, and have very good outcomes in terms of uh, job prospects and things of that nature. I, w- I would have to suspect that um, if there's not a task force, there certainly is an interest in learning a little bit about any of the hiccups of remote remote learning so that when a full semester comes back up, we can do it bigger and better. Is there any, has there been much to learn about uh, being good at remote teaching? Very much so. In fact, uh, most of us were forced to move to online learning, as you know, and very quickly. In fact, all of the faculty were. And we've been doing uh, surveys of students throughout the spring term, the latter half of the spring term, to determine uh, the pros and cons from, from, uh, from their perspective. And we're taking that information actually to uh, to use in, in improving the instruction that we would be delivering online in the fall, either fully if that's uh, the path we're forced to take, or we hope in a hybrid model. And our provost uh, actually has created a task force, which includes many faculty, actually to look at online instruction and to make it uh, more robust and more in the way uh, of being uniform across courses. So a lot of time will be spent this summer uh, making our online uh, learning platforms much, much stronger, even though they were strong to begin with, but we want to make them more uniform in terms of practice across the entire faculty. Fairleigh Dickinson will hold a virtual graduation on Monday, the 18th of May. But Dr. Capuano is confident the school will actually have an in-person ceremony for the class of 2020. 
sometime later this summer. Both university presidents are hard at work, committed to giving incoming students the best way forward, they say, in this time of crisis. Both schools will have elements of study this fall that will focus on public service to help their communities. And no, neither school has any plans to reduce the cost of their education. Their hard costs, if anything, have gone up. That's 880 In-Depth. Thank you for listening. Thank you to reporter Peter Haskell for his hard work on this uh, podcast every week. And congratulations to all of the 2020 graduates from high school and from college, including my daughter, who is getting her degree from Loyola University in Maryland this weekend. These are remarkable times. And to the graduates, living through remarkable times will make you a remarkable person. I'm Tim Shelton. Have a good week. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 